0: these words of my mouth, and this meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, it's really quite an honor and, and pretty humbling. And I'm amazed at how much of the physical Memorial Church is present in this space. And i got to say, it's nice being up here because then I get a view of the choir. Because it's not just great to hear them, but to see all of you. So thank you. I thought I'd begin with a little bit of backstory about me. So you understand more about me and where I'm coming from this morning. The path of this morning is a long and windy one, especially for someone who arrived in Harvard in the fall of 1990 as an agnostic. But thanks to one of my freshman year roommates, Chris Wood, I found both God and country music at Harvard. <laughs> country music because Chris played it on Saturday mornings. And as I was in the top bunk of our dorm in Weld Hall, unless I wanted to climb down out of that top bunk, I was pretty much forced to listen to Garth Brooks and Randy Travis and a few others. It turns out country music wasn't so bad. (laughs) Not a fan, but it's not bad. And God, because Chris kept pestering me to go to this Friday Night Live gathering of Harvard, Wellesley, and MIT students, which was organized by Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. and after finally Giving in and going to several of these gatherings and several resulting conversations, I rediscovered my relationship with Jesus Christ. It turned out God wasn't so bad either. As a side note, one of the other regular attendees of those Friday Night Live gatherings is now United States Senator and my 1994 classmate Ben Sass, United States Senator from Nebraska. So I grew up in northern Kentucky which are the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio, but on the better side of the Ohio River. Uh, There's about 400,000 of us, and if you did the math, I graduated from the college in 1994. So in 2003, I was elected Kentucky Secretary of State as a Republican in my first run for office and was reelected in 2007. In 2010, I was the Republican Party establishment's preferred candidate for the United States Senate, a race I was expected to win in the fall, but I lost in the primary to Rand Paul. Perhaps you've heard of him. After that loss, I became the director of the Institute of Politics and served in that capacity for three and a half years. I loved the IOP. It was an amazing experience. It was my main extracurricular as an undergraduate, and it was an honor to serve as its director. In summer 2014, I felt the call to go home and return to take the helm of the Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, which works with local businesses and other organizations in my hometown. Now, since I've returned home in, in this position with the chamber, I've had to step back from party politics, so I'm no longer an active Republican leader, but I still consider myself a re- as a Republican, and I generally support Republican candidates. Now, that being said, in this past election on Tuesday, like the Harvard Republican Club, I was never Trump and never Hillary, and I cast my ballot Tuesday for Evan McMullen, who was an independent Republican, who happened to be on the ballot in Kentucky. He's the guy who did pretty well in Utah, you might remember it was back when I was the IOP director that I developed a friendship with Professor Walton. When he was first named the plumber, professor of Christian morals, and the Pusey minister of Memorial Church, which has got to be not only the best title at Harvard, but all of the academy. I invited him to come down to the IOP. I said, you need to meet some politicians and save us, so come down to one of our director's dinners, and he did just that. We quickly hit it off and became fast friends. turns out we both love sports and Coke Zero, and that's a perfect foundation for his friendship for two 40-something-year-old Southerners. (laughs) We still find ourselves texting during um, Crimson basketball games, during Celtic games, um, and also on social media. And I do my best to try to catch his sermons on the, the Memorial Church SoundCloud account when I'm driving into work in the morning. I miss him, and it bums me out that he's not here today. I guess it's a bit of a bromance, at least on my part. And the bow tie today is a tribute to him. So anyway, a couple weeks ago, Jonathan texted me. He said, I'd like you to come deliver the Sunday message the the Tuesday or the Sunday after the election. I quickly said yes. And I started to think about how to deliver the message of hope, reconciliation, and healing after Tuesday's election that Jonathan and I both knew we would need as a community. After all, we knew what the outcome was gonna be. Hillary Clinton's gonna win. She'll win by about three or four points, probably get a little more than 300 electoral votes, This would be an outcome that would be pleasing to most everybody at Harvard, and probably many, if not most of you, and it wouldn't surprise anyone if that were the outcome. Even those who weren't happy about it. We knew that even with an outcome like that, our country would still be bitterly divided, but at least it wasn't going to be divided in a surprising way. And while I admit I wasn't a big fan of Secretary Clinton, I looked forward to my daughter's celebration of our first female president. I still vividly recall a simple statement that my then six-year-old daughter, Alex, uttered in the summer of 2007, when she overheard me tell someone that I thought Hillary Clinton would be elected president in 2008. She said simply and innocently, I didn't know a girl could be president. I didn't know a girl could be president. Yeah, she really said that to me, and I was floored. So yes, I was looking forward to the fact but after Tuesday's election, a young girl would never be able to utter that sentence again. So when I brought home carryout dinner from Cracker Barrel Tuesday night, we all knew what to expect. And as the evening wore on, however, it was pretty clear that, once again, my predictions about the 2016 election were going to be wrong, just like so many other political observers and commentators. So instead of creating that memory with my wife and my daughters celebrating the election of our nation's first female president, I'm left being unable to shake the memory of my daughter Kate walking downstairs at one in the morning, unable to sleep, tears in her eyes, devastated by the results. To make matters worse, pretty much my entire sermon that I had been planning had to be thrown out the window too. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been thinking about the past two days about what to say, asking God for some wisdom or at the very least a few words so I don't embarrass him or me or all of you or Jonathan. For guidance, I return to the readings for today. I didn't pick them, they are the readings assigned as part of the revised common lectionary, and as such, are being read and discussed in churches all across the country today. It turns out they're perfect for today, the Sunday after such a bitter and divisive election. We need some good news, and these readings provide it. So as we heard, the Gospel for today from Luke tells us as Judgment Day approaches, through the endurance of faith, we will gain our souls. But it also paints some pretty graphic images leading up to that arrival of that judgment day. The imagery is almost like something that you would see in a political ad about the consequences of electing the wrong candidate. Nations rising against nations, great earthquakes, famines and plagues, dreadful portents. I'm pretty sure I saw that ad. (laughs) The first reading from the book of Malachi provides yet another harrowing image of Judgment Day, a day when the evildoer and the arrogant will be set on fire. But Malachi adds, For those of us who revere God's name, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. What a perfect metaphor. Jesus, the Son of God, as the sun with his rays to heal us. Every day we are reminded of this fact actually see it coming into the church today with all the rays of light coming into this space of grace. As each day begins with a rising sun. And even when the sun sets in the evening, we know it will return in the morning. It's a comforting thought and a humbling one. I guess that explains why, for years, I've always looked up at the rising sun the day after an election, whether my candidate won or lost, whether I won or lost, and thought that there was something bigger than a single election. Can't get too high, can't get too low. Even when that election is as consequential as a presidential election. And that's exactly what happened on Wednesday morning. The sun came up. Yes, many awoke asking, in what kind of country do we live that can elect someone like Donald Trump as president? But almost as many awoke just saying the opposite, exclaiming, in what a great country do we live that can elect someone like Donald Trump? as president. Others, like me, awoke neither happy nor sad, but uncertain about the future of the country and the world. But no matter how you awoke on Wednesday morning, that sun still came up in the morning to remind us of God's promise. This promise isn't a campaign promise that can only be delivered during a single four-year term or, if you're lucky, a second four-year term. Instead, our candidate, the God of Moses and Abraham, With his son jesus provides a promise that transcends a four-year term and it's actually a simple pretty simple promise with faith in god and through the grace of his son jesus christ we can have eternal life that's a really comforting thought especially in times like these now when i lost that 2010 republican primary to rand i have to confess i was pretty devastated it was a race i was supposed to win i was comfortably ahead in the initial polls and had the support of almost all top Republican leaders and activists in Kentucky and across the country. At the age of 38, I was likely gonna be the youngest United States Senator, and per Senate tradition, was gonna be assigned the desk that used to belong to that great Kentuckian, Henry Clay. Instead, despite close polls leading up to the election, I found myself losing by more than 20 points. And one of the first signs of the anti-establishment wave That continues to wash across this country and indeed the world being one of the first casualties of this populist movement was little comfort instead i found myself turning to my faith for strength to help me to understand that there was more to life than being a u.s senator god must have had another plan for me and i only needed to find it so i heard god's voice as i read the touching note that my then nine-year-old daughter left on my pillow when I got home from the victory party that night, telling me that she loved me, that she wished I had won because she knew I would have been a great U.S. Senator and she was proud of me. I still have that note preserved in a safe deposit box. I also heard his voice in the comforting words and actions of the Kentucky State Trooper who always greeted me each and every morning when I arrived for work at the Kentucky State Capitol. The day after I lost, I admit I slept in a little and I arrived later than normal. Just like always, he, however, he stood up as I entered through those tall, heavy wooden doors. But this time, he also reached out to me with his hand to shake mine and said that he was proud to support of me, that it was an honor for him to have worked with me all these years. He will never know how much those words meant to me at that moment. God has continued to speak to me in various ways, and today I have to admit, most days anyway, I'm glad I lost that race. It allowed me to spend an amazing three and a half years on this campus, shaping lives that will hopefully make this country and the world a better place to live. And now another two plus years back in my hometown, making it a better place to live, work, and play. I've spent more time with family and friends than I would have if I'd been shuttling back and forth between Washington and Kentucky. And as confident as I am about my abilities, I'm a Harvard grad after all, I've got confidence. I'm pretty sure that Washington would still be broken even if I'd been there trying to fix it. So for all of you in the pews today, or chairs, since we're in a temporary facility, who are feeling as upset about Tuesday's elections as I felt back in May 2010, I urge you to keep your faith strong. And if you can stay strong and endure, as Luke writes in today's gospel, you will gain your soul. So listen to God's voice and find ways to serve. Keep finding ways to make your community a better place. Don't you dare stop now. If there's injustice, fight it. If there's a candidate or cause that inspires you, or you hear a call to run yourself, work to win that election or pass that law. And for those who are happy about Tuesday's outcome, I offer the same advice. Find that candidate or cause, or be that candidate. Listen to God's voice and continue to find ways to make a difference. But just be mindful of those who are still sad and upset about Tuesday, because actually, according to research performed here at Harvard by Todd Rogers down at the Kennedy School, they're actually a lot sadder than you are happy. Besides, the odds are that someday you'll be in their shoes on the wrong side of a losing election. As I begin my conclusion, I will offer a challenge to all of you. One thing that is clear about Tuesday's election is that we're basically a 50-50 country, and that divide is often a bitter one. Furthermore, an unfortunate recent trend is that we are more often to choose to live around people whose political and worldviews are similar to us, what some commentators have started to call the big sort. In fact, 60% of Americans now live in a county one on Tuesday by more than 20 points. Historically, this sorting was defined by the color of our skin, and that still unfortunately happens. But more and more, it also occurs based on worldview, politics, class, culture, or education. Some have described this worldview divide as cosmopolitan versus traditional. I have two examples, one data, the other anecdotal, that bring this to life. First, Donald Trump won 76 percent of all counties with a Cracker Barrel, but only 22 percent of counties with a Whole Foods, a 54-point gap. Yet in 1992, when Bill Clinton won the presidency, the gap between those very same counties was only 19 points. Now I can relate to this, as I now live in a county in Kentucky with a Cracker Barrel, Boone County, which of course Trump won by 42 points. And when I worked here at the IOP, I lived right here in Middlesex County, which of course Hillary won by 38 points. I love both counties, and I'm glad that I had the chance to live in both. Now I gotta confess, I'm not a fan of either Whole Foods or Cracker Barrel, but my wife loves them both. (laughs) In fact, as I mentioned earlier, we had Cracker Barrel to go on election night, and she really misses that alewife Whole Foods. It really is like the best Whole Foods in America. So I'm confident that Cracker Barrel patrons and Whole Foods shoppers could find much in common if they were to try. Let me give you another story to bring this home more vividly. A few weeks before the election, one of my high school friends, who lives in the neighborhood next to us, wrote on a Facebook posting. She said, I want to encourage all my friends to go to Trump's page and Hillary's page on Facebook. And write in a comment, how many of your friends like Hillary and how many of your friends like Trump? So I wasn't surprised that most of the people who replied and put on comments there were Trump supporters. After all, we live in a Cracker Barrel County. But I was blown away by the responses. 46 to 1, Trump. 66 to 4, Trump. 36 to 0, Trump. Those are pretty common responses. For what it's worth, mine was closer, 350 to 250, 330 to 251, Trump. How would your Facebook friends break down if you did the same thing? My guess is that most of you would see a similar extreme, one direction or the other. This type of sorting is a big problem, and I think it exacerbates the challenges that we face in a country in coming to grips with a close election like this. It's hard to accept the loss when you don't often hang out with people who voted differently than you. Similarly, it's hard to be a gracious winner. It's then easy to make assumptions, negative ones, about the other side when you don't know them. So what can we do about this? Fortunately, the Bible offers some good guidance. In it, we see countless examples of Jesus offering his gift of grace, the keys to the kingdom of heaven to anyone and everyone. No matter where you lived, no matter what you did, no matter what label society attached to you, he didn't care, he always reached out. So using Jesus' approach as an inspiration I want to challenge each and every one of you to reach out to those who look different than you, to those who have different beliefs than you, and to those who voted differently than you. Yes, I want Clinton voters to reach out to, Trump, out to Trump voters and vice versa. We need to better understand one another. Not everyone who voted for Trump or who lives in flyover country or who watches Fox News or who, yes, eats a Cracker Barrel should be dumped into a basket of deplorables and looked down upon. You might find that that voter is actually quite proud of his local high school team, his high school soccer team, that features players from 14 different countries who speak seven different languages. Yes, that's a public school in Boone County, not too far from that Cracker Barrel. Similarly, not everyone who gets their news from the New York Times or emigrated to this country or celebrates the diversity and energy in a big city, or yes, shops at Whole Foods for their kale and arugula is an elitist snob. You might find out that she too is a Sunday school teacher and a Star Wars nut who loves spending time with family and friends. Now, some of those in the first category, without question, really are racist, homophobic, sexist, and xenophobic. And unfortunately, many of them felt empowered by Donald Trump. And some of the second category really are elitist snobs. I'm not denying either reality. But the full reality is that we all have a lot more in common than we think. And perhaps that's what made the Black Jeopardy! segment on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago with Tom Hanks, so compelling. Turns out that Hanks, who was playing a Trump supporter, wasn't all that different than his fellow contestants who were African-Americans. So when you're trying to do this outreach, I want you to keep in mind the words from the first inaugural address of the great Kentuckian, Abraham Lincoln, that were delivered at a time when this country was breaking apart into a civil war. We must not be enemies, but friends. I'm sorry, we are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory will swell again when touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. So this this service is entitled The Commemoration of Benefactors and the War Dead. We continue to give thanks to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for this country. And I especially want to thank all of the veterans and the ROTC cadets with us this morning for their past and future service. So given the special meaning of today's service for the university and the proximity to an election in a divided country, it seems fitting for me to conclude with an excerpt from our nation's greatest inaugural address. Yes, once again, I'm gonna quote from Abraham Lincoln. And by the way, he was born in Kentucky. That Illinois thing, he he was born in Kentucky. (laughs) This time from his second inaugural address delivered just a few days before the conclusion of the bloody Civil War. He concluded his brief but powerful address, which was aimed at starting to heal the wounds from that war with this famous sentence. With malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Thanks for having me with you this morning. I hope the good news contained in this today's readings and discussed in this sermon can help heal some of the wounds that were caused during this election season. Endure, stay strong, and seek the healing rays of sun from Jesus, the Son of God. Listen to God's voice and find your path to serve. With the better angels of our nature, reach out to others with malice toward none and charity for all. If you should do so, I'm confident we can achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace. Amen.